Well, a happy Tuesday and a happy post-Labor Day, everyone. Welcome into another edition of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale, happy to be with you tonight as we lead you up to some basketball postseason action starting at about 7.30 here on 101 ESPN. But as we welcome in my partner, Joe Vitale, Joey V, how's Labor Day treating you, buddy? Labor Day was awesome, Alex. Uh, we ate a lot of food, a lot of time around the pool. And uh, the best part about Labor Day this year for me particularly was that my kids finally started school the day after. Tuesday, today, <laughs> they were all at school. You should have seen the line at drop-off this morning. It started at 4 a.m. Parents had headlights on. There was a line about as long as two miles. Parents could not wait to drop their kids off. So we were excited to kick them out of the door. I think I kept the car going about 10 miles an hour, and I officially dropped them off. And then uh, my wife and I came home. We caught ourselves a little nap, so that was great. That's fantastic. See, I would imagine, and I don't have kids, but I would imagine this was one of those things where you just warned them in the car, be like, hey, I'm not stopping. Just pop out. I'll, I'll open the door, and you just run in. That's exactly right. Yeah, you're going. It's going to happen. And what's that? You forgot your lunchbox? Okay, figure it out. Steal <laughs> someone's lunch. Dad, I don't have my homework. Dad, I don't have my sheet. Dad, I don't have my mask. Uh, steal some from one of your buddies. I'm not going back home. You're getting out. You're going to be on time. Uh, I will say, though, we just got home a little bit ago from the first day. These kids, you can tell they've been off school for six months. My daughter has no idea what her homework is. My son forgot his water bottle. My, <laughs> my youngest boy forgot his mask. we got to buy a whole new mask. So it's going to take a little bit of uh, recalibrating here for a lot of these kids, and a lot of the parents out there know what I'm talking about. You know, six months is a long time to be without school, but hopefully we'll get it dialed in here soon. Now, did you have to live through the uh, the school at home a little bit there or not? Oh, yeah. So we did that in the spring. And, um, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. I told the school, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do that anymore. Uh, so it's either in person or I told my wife we're going to hop in a van and travel out west and uh, do the old Lewis and Clark route and just see the world a little bit. So fortunately for us, uh, our school here in Kirkwood, uh, they've done a tremendous job. St. Peter there in Kirkwood, they're getting it all kind of figured out. They have social distancing. They have cohorts. The teachers have been awesome. The entire staff's been tremendous. And the community has been really supportive of it. So uh, it's amazing for these kids. I'm so happy that everyone's doing it safely and um, kids are back. That's fantastic. Well, I got to tell you, Joe, I went uh, I went to Branson over the weekend with my, my family because it was my niece's fifth birthday and all she wanted to do was go to Branson and go to Silver Dollar City. And I got to tell you, man, I haven't been there in like 10 years and that place has freaking changed. Is, is Silver Dollar City out? Is it still kind of the poor man's Vegas out there? Or what, what is it like out there? So, so it's the it's the rich man Six Flags, the poor man's Vegas. Basically, that's the perfect way to explain it to you. Like, it, it's still that old school, like, you know, I don't even know how to how to explain it. It's like the old school v area where you can walk around and feel like you're you're in the olden days. But on top of it, it's it's like it, it's a paradise for kids where it's just nonstop people running around shoulder to shoulder. And I got to tell you, I was amazed at how many people were there and what they were doing at the park and like having the ability to have all of those people there. It was it was unbelievable. Did you guys get a chance to do any fishing? People love the fishing out there in Branson. We didn't do the fishing, but we took a boat out of Table Rock Lake. And I always tell people I prefer Table Rock Lake over Lake of the Ozarks. You know what? I was watching that that show, Ozark. Have you ever seen that show? I Ozark? have. Yeah, I've, I've so, watched it. So in the first episode, Jason Bateman's talking to the drug dealer. And without giving it away, but he's like, there's more coastline in the Ozarks than there is in California. Is that legit? Have ever, anyone ever looked that up? I don't think I've ever looked that up, but uh, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, Ozark has to be like a documentary, right? 
Well, I, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> California, that's like a huge state along the coast. There's no way there's more coastline on the Ozarks I, than I t- West, but... I- tell you what we did do though joe which was pretty awesome we went golfing out at the ozarks that was kind of the stipulation of getting my dad and i to go was allow us to go golf for a couple days we played at a golf course that was called buffalo ridge that had buffaloes all along the golf course so basically if you hit a ball the wrong way you're possibly going to pop a buffalo in the head you know what you gotta be careful too because there's a lady at yellowstone a few weeks ago she got attacked by a buffalo did you see that she got charged Really? Yeah, yeah. She got charged. Her, her, and her husband. So they both took off. The, the, the mom or the wife fell down, and the husband just kept going. <laughs> He's definitely sleeping the doghouse. Oh, yeah. Luckily, luckily the buffalo just kind of sniffed her, I think, a little bit, and then uh, that Tatanka was on his way. There's no doghouse for him. It's basically like you're in, you're in a casket now. Like it's over for you. It was like the time that uh, that one guy and girl were at a ball game, and I think that the guy <laughs> sucked. You see, remember that the foul ball and the girl got smoked and she yelled at him. Oh, there's no going back from that. He went the opposite direction of that foul ball coming in. I, I loved every single second. Of that. Plus, that was a perfect way if you ever get into a fight with your significant other. You show her that video and say, look, at least I'm not this bad. Isn't that the truth? God, I miss fans. I, I miss do. fans in these buildings, Alex, big time. And, and you know, you say that, Joe, in watching these Western Conference and Eastern Conference finals between the Islanders and Tampa Bay, which was last night and then two nights ago with Dallas and Vegas. Doesn't it just feel different to you? Like like the initial thought was like, man, I wish we were in the Western Conference final, but then you watch it and you're like, this just doesn't feel like playoffs. Before it felt like playoffs, and now when you're this close to a Stanley Cup, it just feels different. I just know that if we had like three rounds left instead of two, I think you'd start losing people. I think I think people are getting a little impatient by everything for the reasons you just said. It's just spooky. It's weird. And I'm kind of getting sick of it. But the only thing that's keeping me intrigued, and I think it's keeping a lot of fans intrigued, is the fact that there's only four teams left. And we some and there's obviously two teams that are three wins away from a cup. So I think I think if there was one more round, I mean I think the NHL has done a tremendous job. But listen, those boys have been there a long time. I mean, Vancouver just went home the other day and the blues lost to vancouver doesn't that seem like two months ago yeah it does it, it's a, they only played one extra round in the blues and i feel like they were there an extra month month and a half i mean i know they had to pause uh for the political reasons there and everything but i mean it's just this thing has just dragged on and on and on and and it, it sucks watching without fans i i know i'm trying to be positive and, and the league's done a great job i'm so glad they're playing because the the side the 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 other side of that is that you don't play at all and i would hate to see that as well but I just, you know, one thing's very clear to me. I know you probably feel the same way too, Alex. The fans were always an afterthought for me. And I feel yeah. bad saying that, but I took them for granted. I, I just thought, oh, some people that want to watch the game instead of watching it on TV. And I think players, I think people who are fans of any sport, they look at fans in a completely different light right now. They, they aren't just watching the game. They, they are the game. They are, they are as part of the game as as you know Alex Petrangelo is or they are as part of the game as Craig Berube is I mean these fans are so sorely missed in every single sport and I know when they get back in those buildings people are going to have an appreciation for them like you cannot believe and I cannot wait and I am so excited to see where sports go 
when fans are allowed back in these buildings. I, I couldn't agree more with you, Joe. Like thinking about what it would look like possibly next year with fans back in the stands. I think the I think the players are going to have a newfound appreciation for playing in their home cities and playing in front of fans again because we've heard players talk about how weird and eerie it is to be to, to get out there and skate. And yes, they say they forget about the fact that when they're on the ice that there's fans or there's no fans, but it's an eerie fear feeling from what I've heard from some of these guys. And and honestly, I think the fans are just going to appreciate not being in a bubble. I mean, you saw the comments from a couple of those players that played in the Toronto bubble about what the Edmonton bubble was like. I mean, I think we might have been understating kind of how locked in these players truly are in the Edmonton bubble. They are. And I think that the league uh, has been very cautious. And I think it's a good thing. You know, the league, you know, told a lot of these teams that there would be probably some excursions and golf trips and, um, you know, trailheads and some hikes to go on as a team. And I think it got the players kind of warmed up to the idea of these bubbles. Now, whether they were just kind of reeling them in or not, I don't know. But since these teams have been there, the league kind of has shut all that down. They really haven't opened it up. The Blues really didn't do anything like that. Uh, so is it unfair? Maybe a little bit, but the league at the end of the day, the priorities are the priorities. And the number one priority was make sure we do not have an outbreak. And the league has, and, and that is the most important thing. If the players can get through a few more weeks of this and be all said and done and we can get a cup winner, uh, to me, it's a success. But you're right, Alex. It's it's been a it's been a struggle. I mean, we talked to uh, I talked to Justin Falk about this a couple weeks ago, and we, we were laughing on a Zoom that um, he missed the feeling of grass. Yeah. I mean, they're in the Edmonton bubble, and there's that concrete patio area. But aside from that, they're in the hotel. They're at the rink. I mean, little things. It, I'm not gonna definitely not gonna call it prison. It certainly wasn't war, but it um it was a big switch up. It was a big change, especially with these players that have been away from their families, and um, it was no joke. So uh, I really applaud the four teams that are still in it. And uh, I'll probably get a little teary-eyed when I eventually see a cup winner. And But the thought of these players eventually getting back with their families, man, it really warms my heart. Yeah, that video of, of that Molly Bozak posted of Tyler coming home and watching his kids run up to him, that was that kind of hit me in the feelers watching that because you do realize how long these guys have been away. And, and you know, going back to what you mentioned, Joe, and we're going to be joined by Mike McKenna in just a bit to kind of talk about the, the playoff aspect of this and what's been going on on the ice. It's been an exciting two Western and Eastern Conference final series because you have two teams that I don't know if people expected to see in this position, right? Uh, Tampa and Vegas were teams that everyone expected to be there. Like everyone was talking about it, but seeing Dallas play and take the one, nothing series lead and seeing the Islanders get through the, the gauntlet that they got through to get to this point. That's been more exciting for me than anything of two teams that nobody expected. You know, it, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the, uh, the Eastern conference final, for example, and, I mean, talk about a battle of just an offensive juggernaut versus a defensive savvy group. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning just can light it up. And then you have the New York Islanders that pay, play that very trot, Lou Lamarillo, trap, shutdown style. And, and you always think, you know, what team's going to prevail? And then to see Tampa just go on an absolute routing there in that first game, that, that really surprised me because it kind of – it kind of flipped the uh, the card on, oh, defense wins championships. you got to play defense versus hockey to win a Stanley Cup because Tampa just pretty much outwilled them, outscored <laughs> them all over the ice. Uh, but, you know, it's – I know uh, New York is a, a team that not a lot of people like to watch. They're a pretty boring team, and, and that's why I'm still kind of rooting for Tampa. But uh, on that eastern side specifically, to Alex, to your point, it is a – 
it is a matchup of just very, very different opposite teams. But you also got to give a lot of credit to John Cooper, what he's done in Tampa, uh, not only offensively, but they really have evolved to, to not, I'm not going to say shut things down defensively, but they are evolving to take pride in defense way more than they did in the past two, three seasons. And you look at a team that learned from the mistakes of last year, getting swept by Columbus and the year before that. Uh, so much hype for these teams heading into playoffs. And finally, it seems like they're taking just a little bit of responsibility on the back end and getting great goaltending, and you know they're going to score. And it's been it's been a fun series up to this point. Yeah, you know, goaltending has been so influential. We'll talk about that later on tonight in the playoffs. And uh, you got a St. Louis connection on each team, which is kind of cool to, to have that rooting interest of a Paul Stastny, of a Scott Mayfield, of a Ben Bishop. You know, you can go through each team, which is really cool uh, to have those four teams. And, of course, Pat Maroon, the hometown hero. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's it is this week in hockey. When we come back, Mike McKenna, the St. Louis native, the former NHL goaltender and the Vegas Golden Knights TV analyst is going to talk about this Vegas team and just the emotions from the city of Vegas without being able to actually enjoy all of these sporting events. So we'll touch on all of that with Mike McKenna next here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Tuesday night. Happy to be back with you along with Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is, of course, this week in hockey as we're going to extend it a little bit longer tonight and get you up to uh, NBA basketball, some playoff basketball. And there's playoff hockey going on tonight as well. And with that playoff hockey, it's the Las Vegas Golden Knights and Dallas Stars Western Conference Final Game Number 2. And Joe Vitale, we welcome in a friend of ours and former NHL goaltender, St. Louis native. He is Mike McKenna. Mike, how are you doing tonight? buddy i'm doing great uh, i'm out in vegas where we almost have tornadic winds in some capacity it's like blowing 50 miles an hour out here it's crazy i, I don't know if i've experienced this before mike what's what's the deal out there how, how is the city in general like for a while there vegas was a very tame covid spot and then it became a hot spot uh, i'm reading that some casinos are, are starting to open i mean are you going down to the strip at all what's What's the vibes just in general out there in Las Vegas? Uh, I'm pretty much in a bubble. You know, we've got to be extremely careful to make sure that we're available to do anything in media, especially because we're, you know, on-air personalities. People need to see our face. It's a mixed bag out here. A lot of people are going about their normal everyday business away from the Strip. The more of the industry that doesn't involve the actual tourism sector is pretty normal. You know, kind of similar to how St. Louis is right now. The casinos are just strange. You know, half of them are open, half of them have restrictions. There's plexiglass everywhere. It's just a complete mixed bag, and it's almost like a ghost town when you go down the strip. I mean, if you want to come here, it's really inexpensive right now, uh, <laughs> but it just is—it's just strange, man. It's really, really weird looking at a casino not even lit up at night on the Las Vegas Strip. It's funny you say that, Mike, because I would imagine with with sports being back in, you know, with football starting up on Thursday, when you got playoff hockey and playoff basketball, and of course baseball, this is like a sports better's dream come true. But right now, they have—they don't have the opportunity to enjoy it like you used to be able to enjoy. Enjoy it, especially since the city's built out their sports books so much. Especially, you know, they get the Golden Knights. The Raiders are coming. It, it seems like every major sporting league wants to come here. Every day you hear rumors about the NBA and the MLB trying to find a way. And they were so primed and ready for this. And it's big time money for the for the sports books to be able to have playoffs. And people aren't here for it, you know. So it's it's definitely. No different than anywhere else in life. Everybody's taking a hit with this deal right now. I mean, and I'm sure we all can't wait to get out of it and try to find some normalcy, but who knows when that's going to happen. 
Mike, how about the energy, though? I mean, listen, Vegas comes in the league a couple years ago. They go to the Stanley Cup final. I mean, one of the most energized atmospheres I've seen in a long time with hockey. I mean, the players showing up to the rink in the final there. The city just totally grabbed onto this Golden Knight hockey thing. But now throughout this pandemic, is there still the energy? I mean, what has that been like? I mean, can you compare that to two years ago when they're in the final? Now looking at it now with probably – uh, you know, a lack of fan or maybe a social distancing get togethers or watch parties. I mean, is there anything like that going on in that city? Yeah, to a certain extent there is. Uh, we're doing a lot of it that we can to create as much content as possible so people can enjoy from home if they want. Like we've created an entire second screen viewing opportunity for our fans that we call Fortress at Home, which is the slang name for the arena, T-Mobile Arena here in Vegas, that we're providing commentary and graphics and interaction that people can put up on a second stream a screen while they're watching their TV. So we're doing our best with that. But, yeah, there have been viewing parties all around town. There's bars and grills that have patios that are doing so. So they're trying to. And you can still feel it here, but it doesn't really have that same gravitas because it's not like there's rallies in front of the T-Mobile Arena and fan fests. And as you know, coming here, Joey, like it is a huge deal in Vegas. I mean, this city desperately needed – something to latch onto as their own. And it just happened that that was the golden Knights. So, um, you know, season tickets are still impossible to get there's an American hockey league team coming out here now. That's pretty much sold out too. So it's a hockey mad city, but it's, it's that strange dynamic to walk in the line right now between, you know, making sure everyone's safe and also being able to truly celebrate with everybody else. We're talking with Mike McKenna, former NHL goaltender, St. Louis native, and now on the Las Vegas Golden Knights broadcast team as the Vegas Golden Knights will play game two a little bit later tonight against the Dallas Stars. Mike, how much do you think these fans in Vegas are missing this atmosphere? Because I recall watching that that first year in the Stanley Cup final and thinking to myself, I don't know if a building can match this atmosphere. And then when I was able to experience it earlier this year, I felt the exact same way. So I would imagine these fans are, are, are dying right now for some type of excitement in terms of live action. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you see that everywhere in the league, but for the reasons I spoke about just a bit ago, it's it's so ingrained in people's everyday lives in Vegas now to know when the Knights are playing. Like, it's just everybody out here is all in on it. You know, we, we're doing as much as we can to give it to the people, but, man, it's like you can see how pent up they are. You know, when we do this Fortress at Home thing I was talking about earlier, people are decorating their living rooms and their garages and getting all dressed up and – you're just trying to do any way you can to enjoy it, right? And I just have a feeling that if Vegas pulls this off, if they're able to win the Stanley Cup, there's got to be a way to celebrate safely somehow. There has to be. Whether it's an eight-mile-long procession of people spaced out six feet, whatever it takes, they may have to shut down the whole I-15 from here to you know Reno or wherever. But uh, I think the city would find a way to make it happen. Mike, speaking of celebration, before we jump into hockey, there was one question I had to ask you. I know if they win, that guy that just wails that flag back and forth, he would have to be part of the celebration. We were out of practice. Alex came out this past season, and I'm watching this this young man who's in he's extremely fit. He's holding this like 15 foot Las Vegas flagpole, and he did not stop left to right the entire practice. And then he was out there before the game the following night doing the exact same thing. Who is this guy, and does he ever take a break? 
I got to tell you, I don't know his name, but no, he never takes a break. And he's got forearms like you wouldn't believe. Like you're talking <laughs> about Popeye, old man strength all combined. He does once the, once practice starts. He just sends it full send, waving the flag, and it is. It's like a like a triple extended flagpole, and he, he's there all the time. He's there every day of practice. He's at every game. Like he's just the ultimate Vegas Golden Knights super fan, and he's found his niche. Everybody's got their calling card. We've got a Wolverine guy at the games at T-Mobile. I actually met him last week. His name's Jason, and he runs the Veteran Hockey association in vegas he's unbelievable but he looks just like wolverine and he plays it up in the arena and it's just so vegas you know like there's just so many characters out here that you kind of just embrace it you know the hockey's very serious it's the most important thing but those ancillary things just make it a complete completely unique experience you know i'm glad you used the term characters mike because that's what i feel like when i watch the vegas golden knights play from pete DeBoer, who of course has a history of the against the blues in postseason as the head coach of the san jose sharks to ryan reeves who's chirping the head coach on the opposite side or chirping every single player that he's playing against this vegas golden knights team they've had an identity for a long time but now i feel like that identity's gone even further once they got into postseason action yeah if you're just if we're just talking about the amount of verbal jabs going back and forth it probably ratchets up once it comes to playoffs and i think people are more aware of it too right now you're looking for any angle you can find and also being in the bubble people can hear everything you know so the limited amount of media that are in the building it's very apparent what's being said on the ice but it's it's a fine line though too. You know, game one of the series against Vancouver, Vegas was just all over them, and it felt like it would work to their uh, to their benefit. By game two and three, it's almost like that had crossed into the territory of arrogance, and that's where you have to be careful. You can run the edge, you can play right to it, but you don't want to go over the edge. And, and all season long, Vegas, their identity and their their verbal identity matched them. They forecheck hard. They're heavy. They're fast. And it's just part of that overall intimidation that they bring. Once again, that's Mike McKenna, former NHL goaltender, St. Louis native, studio analyst for the Golden Knights. Joe, I know you got a question about the goaltending for Mike. We will get to that next after this quick break. It's This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Tuesday night, This Week in Hockey, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. We are talking with Mike McKenna, the former NHL goaltender, the St. Louis native, and the studio analyst for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Of course, Vegas in action tonight, game number two of the Western Conference Final. We've been talking talking about the way that they've been playing. And, Joe, I know you had a question about the goaltending for Mike. Hey, Mike, I wanted to ask you about the goaltending situation in Las Vegas. A former goaltender yourself, you played in all the leagues. This this really intrigues me about what Pete DeBoer has done going back and forth so much between Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, you see it in some teams, you know, with Dallas, with Hudobin and Bishop, but it was more because one player, one goalie wasn't playing as well. Or you look at the Blues, for example. Bennington had a bad game, so you go with Allen. Then Allen had a bad game, you go with – but it's almost like DeBoer's kind of going back and forth, even though uh, the goalie, the other goalie has success. You look at Robin Leonard, he wins game seven. I think he got the shutout in that game. And then he goes right with Marc-Andre Fleury in game one of the Western Conference Final. I mean, uh, are you just always on the edge of your seat, not knowing what goalie is going to start each game? Well, I sure was for game one. Like, Joey, I I thought it was going to be Leonard for sure. You know, I'm supposed to be the goalie guy with all this insight and knowledge. And it caught me off guard. (laughs) And the way I summed it up was that, you know, this doesn't make any sense at all, but it makes all the sense in the world. You know, when I stepped back 
and took my my mind out of that old school gutter where there's only one goalie that can play and you ride your starter no matter what i should have realized that the gold that the golden knights have deployed both goaltenders in a calculated fashion they've done it in back-to-backs regardless of outcome of games and they've stuck to their plan it would have been four games and six nights for robin leonard with a back-to-back included that's a lot of hockey for a goaltender he's played very well but mark andre fleury had two great games one against chicago one against vancouver the team believes in both of them and they're not they're comfortable with playing in front of either of them. Marc-Andre Fleury gave the Golden Knights another great game in game one. You lose one nothing, a couple more empty netters at the end. But, I mean, it is it is what it is. It's a very, very good scenario for Golden Knights to have two goaltenders that can play like that. You're seeing it throughout the league now uh, that the delta between a so-called starter and backup isn't very big. You know, we're, we're dealing with goalie tandems now. And I think going forward, you're going to see more of this, more load management, more switching of the goaltenders, not always based on, on how they play, but how they have their energy, what the coach thinks they bring. Mike, with that goaltending battle, and again, we're talking with Mike McKenna, former NHL goaltender, St. Louis native, and an analyst, studio analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast team. Um, I'm curious your thoughts as a former player on the way that Marc-Andre Fleury handled the, the circumstance with his agent and tweeting out that picture because it was talked about so much, but I thought Marc-Andre Fleury and the Vegas Golden Knights handled that with as much professionalism as you're going to see of you know Marc-Andre Fleury just kind of golfing at that and saying that it's a team and proving that it's a team when he and Leonard get the net throughout this postseason yeah you know that's not an ideal scenario by any stretch and I I really appreciated how the team handled it they put Marc-Andre Fleury to the podium right away and he put it to bed you know there wasn't any more of it after that now of course it's going to be perpetuated on that's the nature of things nowadays things aren't forgotten within the media but within the team within the locker room and Joey you know this firsthand being in one if there's ever anything that upsets the apple cart, it gets taken care of right away, especially on a team as close as the Golden Knights are on such a mission to win a cup. You don't let these things fester. It's not like it's a, a schoolyard where you get mad at a kid and you try to exact revenge on him during the kickball game three days later by throwing the ball at his head. Like, you don't do that. And you've seen Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury support each other in the media, on the ice, the whole time. And to me, that really says the most about that relationship. Mike, you know, when this when these playoffs started, I was thinking, you know what, I think it's going to be a Boston-St. Louis type of team, a team that's gone the distance, that has the maturity to get there. I, well, I was I was very – I was proven wrong right away, obviously. But then I kind of leaned on, you know, maybe it's going to be a younger team, a team that's used to playing Nintendo in the hotel rooms and eating out every night. Uh, maybe those <laughs> are the type of teams, you know. But then – so looking at Las Vegas, who's had a tremendous amount of success, well, here we are in the Western Conference Final – uh, even though they're down by one game, they still have a great shot at getting to the final. What is it about this Vegas team? Like now looking at it uh, all these weeks later from the start date, why has Las Vegas had so much success in this bubble format? You know, I think it kind of goes to what your initial inclination was. Vegas is a pretty experienced team, even though it's a young team in terms of actually being in the National League. There's plenty of experience. There's not that many young players or players on entry-level contracts for Vegas, and they play really, really heavy. They play fast. That's kind of the common denominator that you find. Even when you said St. Louis and Boston, both heavy teams. Well, look who's left right now. You've got Dallas, who plays heavy. You've got Ben. You've got a whole lineup of guys that play that way, that are gritty. You've got Vegas. It's the same way. Four lines deep, heavy forecheck. And even on the East 
Look at what Tampa's done, bringing in Maroon and Goudreau uh, and Coleman. And then you've got the Islanders who just grind and grind and can play heavy when needed. So uh, to me, that's really the biggest thing is, is that you've got teams that, despite being heavier, are also fast. They're a very good balance. They, they have four lines that can bring it. And it's a true across the league, you know, and I originally thought it would lean more towards older teams that would be successful just because of the mental aspect of playoffs and being in a bubble and dealing with the grind and knowing how to manage. I thought youthful legs were going to be good for about the first three games and it would level off. And, um, you know, in in some ways, I'm kind of happy that it seems like I'm right. But of course, everything could always flip on our heads. You know, analysts are always wrong. So (laughs) we'll see what happens. (laughs) Mike, uh, when you watch this Vegas team play from the round-robin games to the first round to taking down Vancouver and now in the series with Dallas, what do you feel like the X factor has been for this team? It's been their third line, and it's it's simply to say that's your depth scoring. You know, that's the easiest way to put it. Alex Tuck's leading the team in goals. He's got eight goals in playoffs. He's not leading in points. But what's been able to happen between him and another player in the team named Nick Waugh, who's a rookie in the league, who's coming off a Calder Cup championship season in the American Hockey League the previous year, they have great chemistry. They have great vision on the ice. Tuck lost 10 pounds over the break, and I think he found 10 miles an hour on the ice. This guy is an absolute Clydesdale down the right side. He can fly. And he's playing with a lot of confidence going to the net. And during the regular season, that was a black hole for the Golden Knights. They had no depth of scoring on the third line. It wasn't clicking all season long. And they've had to shuffle the lines the last couple couple games. Paul Stastny, St. Louis native, has actually been playing with Wah and Tuck. Uh, but I look at that that increase in the depth scoring really is what's been defined Vegas so far in the, in the bubble. Mike, you know, Alex and I were talking last week on our show about we went through every team that was still left. You know, I would love to see X win for this reason. And I would hate to see him for this reason. I love to see the Islanders win for this reason. I would hate to see the Islanders win for this. We kind of went through every team, just like a fun little game. You know, for you looking at this Vegas team, if you had to pinpoint it to one thing, I think like, for example, last week I said, I would love to see Vegas win for Paul Stassi. I grew up with Paul here in St. Louis. It must have been tough for him to miss the St. Louis Blues championship as he got traded a couple of years prior to experience that whole thing. He hasn't had a cup on his resume yet. So for me, it would be to see Paul Stastny raise a cup. That's why I would like to see Vegas win. So looking at this team, from a, from an, uh, an analyst standpoint, uh, you follow this team religiously. What, what What is it about this team, or why would what's the number one reason why you would love to see them win a cup? Well, it's outside the locker room. It's really the, it's the city. You know, it is the support that this city has given to an expansion franchise and a place that, Nobody thought hockey could work. And everybody laughed at Vegas as a destination. They'll never get the fan base. And it's one of the most rabid fan bases out there. I mean, we're drawing eights and nines on ratings for TV. You know, it's massive. People care out here. Um, So the fans are first and foremost. But if I had to go down the roster, I completely agree with you with Paul Stastny. He's had an incredible career. Um, What is really what his entire family's done to see him in the same uh, same lexicon as as his dad and his uncle's adding a Stanley Cup to that would be just incredible to see. And he's so well-respected in the locker room. Players all look up to him. He may not be the most vocal guy, but they always know if they need an answer, if they need guidance, he's the person to turn to. And I would put right after him, I'd put Max Pacioretty too. Um, You know, played a lot of years in Montreal, former University of Michigan Wolverine, very good hockey player, but he hasn't gotten to the finals yet. 
And, and to me, he's another player that's a veteran that the player that players on the Golden Knights would love to get him a championship. And he's playing his best hockey. And part of that too is I think is he doesn't have that burden of being a captain in a Canadian market. He can kind of fly under the radar a little bit in terms of media and everything else in Vegas, and he's embracing it. So fans, Stastny, Pacioretty, you take your pick. It's all pretty good inspiration. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Hey, Mike, final one before we let you go, and we appreciate you hopping on with us this evening. Uh, this is kind of uh, down the road a little bit. We've seen the success of the Vegas Golden Knights from the expansion draft, what was it, three years ago, being in the Stanley Cup final and then being in their second Stanley, possibly second Stanley Cup final this year if they make it that far. When you look at what could be with the Seattle expansion team a extra year from now, do you think that Seattle could see the same success that Vegas has seen? There's always a chance of it. Now, Vegas did really, really well in the expansion draft and the time leading up to it, managing draft picks and, and making trades to get with other teams that were looking to protect players in some instances. And honestly, I think Vegas leveraged it to an extent we may never see again. It was a masterful job. But any time you get a team full of guys who are considered misfits like they were in Vegas or basically players that have something to prove, you know, you're not going to get um, a $10 million superstar in an expansion draft unless something crazy happens. You know, you're going to get a lot of guys who have something to prove that are hungry to do so. And if you can get the right coach and if you can get the right ownership and the right buy-in and everybody's on the same page, but the parity in the NHL today, I think anything's possible. I would never discount success happening like that. Um, but in that same breath, I think that the way Vegas handled that expansion draft was just absolutely masterful, and it'd be tough to replicate. And especially when you when you see the talent still in the NHL. But from the way I agree with you, Mike, the way that the the Vegas Golden Knights uh, used that uh, that draft in acquiring those trades and flipping them for for pieces to help them make this run, it, it was just a masterful job. That I don't know uh, if you'll ever see another team have the ability to do. Mike McKenna, it's always great to catch up, buddy. Uh, we love getting the chance to talk with you here on this week in hockey. Thanks for taking some time out tonight. Enjoy. Enjoy game number two, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking with you uh, with the Stanley Cup to talk about. That sounds good. And uh, next time we'll, we'll even little we'll work in a little bit of food talk, St. Louis. I think Joey and I are always up for that. How's that sound? You know what? Hey, we we should have done that. You know, Alex, let's have him on again next week or the week after. Let's just talk straight pizza. Mike Mike's an unreal uh, Detroit style pizza. He puts it in a sheet pan like you've never seen before. I got to get the load on. <laughs> yeah. That, okay. Well, I'm if that's, all in on this, man. Yeah. All in. If that's the case, Mike, we're going to have a lot of pizza and toasted ravioli talk uh, next time we have you on here. Yeah, well, if it has anything to do with bread, we know Joey's the man, and I just try to ride his coattails. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> Thanks, it's Mikey. great catching up with you, buddy. Thank you so much. You got it, guys. Thanks again. I love it. Once again, Mike McKenna, the former NHL goaltender, the St. Louis native, and, of course, the studio analyst for the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Joe, always great to catch up with Mike. We'll take a break, and when we come back... I want to talk a little bit about the youth of defense for the St. Louis Blues, Joe, because I think two players in particular can really affect what the Blues do moving forward. So we'll touch on that next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Tuesday night, final time here in the 6 o'clock hour. We'll still have a couple of segments for you in the 7 o'clock hour, taking you up to NBA postseason action, which gets underway at about 7.30 tonight, along with Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. And Joe, I wanted to talk a little bit about the future for this Blues team. And we spent last week talking about Alex Petrangelo and what can happen in that circumstance. And I know that's a a, a very 
talked about topic and it will be until the decision is made but you look at at what potentially could be for the Blues beyond Alex Petrangelo and there's a couple of players right now that that have some high expectations in this Blues depth system when you talk about Scott Perunovic the player from college the Hobie Baker award winner and then when you talk about Nico Mikola and for both of those players you had two left-handed shots which really is the future of what the St. Louis Blues defensive core could look like like when you talk about a Pareko, when you talk about potentially an Alex Petrangelo, I mean, you could be talking about four of six defensemen that are going to be here for the next five to six years. You know, it's interesting. You know, I'm the Jake Wallman in there as well, yeah. uh, who had a, who had a tremendous camp this past season, um, actually this past July when they eventually came back to camp. He was one of the young players that Craig Berube was really impressed with. Uh, Jake Wallman seems to be taking that step. He spent a lot of time in the minors and, to me, Alex, he seems like a player that is, is tired of playing in the minors. And we've all seen players kind of go through that. I'm not going back down in the minors. I'm here to stay kind of mindset. And I think Jake Wallman's kind of up there as well. So I'm just going to throw him in the mix as well. But uh, the, the two defensemen you were just talking about, you know, two uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, with Perunovic, you got the Hobie Baker winner for the best college player in the National League, or in the, excuse me, the whole nation of the season of his time at University of Minnesota Duluth. A uh, very similar player in similar school to what Justin Falk did. Uh, a shorter guy, pretty stocky. He, he's a physical kid. He's a feisty kid, but he can run that power play. You know, think think more of Vince Dunn. Can can he evolve to be a, a Tory Krug in two to three years? Is he is he ready to make the step of Kale McCarr? I'm not going to put him in the same category as Kale McCarr or a Quinn Hughes by any stretch of the imagination, because that would just be unfair to the poor kid. But is he a player within two to three years that could kind of creep up to be a Quinn Hughes ish type of player? Possibly. And then you got Nico Mikula on the other end. Uh, we talk about other ends of the spectrum. A very big, tall, strong kid uh, still growing into his body. You know, Alex, you were covering this team for a long time. You remember when Colton Pareko came into this league? He kind of looked a lot like Mikula. Yeah. Uh, Colton Pareko is still maturing. He's still getting stronger, as scary as that sounds. And Mikula is about four to five years behind that development. He's got some growth. And he's got some coordination to kind of figure, still figure out his body because he's so long and kind of gangly all over the place. We had a great discussion with him, not with him, but about him with Bill Armstrong, who is the assistant GM here in St. Louis. And, and he was just so high on this kid. Two years ago when he started to kind of come into the league, he called him a dog on a bone, uh, meaning he is just a relentless hound dog in the corner. He is so aggressive, and he will be so aggressive. He actually skate himself out of position sometimes. <laughs> but, but, but for a coach, that's a coach's dream. Because you can learn how to reel that in. Uh, the problem for a coach is the opposite. If you've got a smart player, a cautious player, an observant player, how do you get them to play more aggressive? That's a lot harder to teach than the other way around. So for Mikula, he's a very aggressive kid. He's a strong kid. He likes to play on that edge. Uh, but for him, it's really about kind of reeling in a little bit, being in a good potty position, and not necessarily going out of the way to make a huge hit, but sometimes just popping the hips and keeping yourself in a good spot. And that's just maturity. That's going to take time. Will it take three years? Will it take one year? Will it take seven years? I mean, that that is just what we see in the league. It's, it's hard to determine. Nathan McKinnon, it took him about four to five years before he became a superstar. Uh, Colorado was patient with him. They were starting to lose patience with him, but he, he finally, finally kind of figured it out. So for Doug Armstrong, and this is why scouts get paid good money, and this is why GMs and assistant GMs and pro scouts and, and all these guys, uh, hockey, head of hockey operations, uh, presidents, they get paid big bucks because that's the key. The question is, how long will these players take? Because all those questions, Alex, to your point, are going to lead into the Alex Petrangelo signing 
which we will see or not see depending on how this defensive depth looks for Doug Armstrong and, and gang moving forward. You know, I, I'm glad you threw Jake Wallman into this category, Joe, because for some reason I just it, it completely passed my mind. But when you look at Jake Wallman and Scott Perunovich and with uh, with Nico Mikola, the three players that you just spoke of, you have two left-handed shots, well, three left-handed shots, which really can dictate what an offseason looks like. And, of course, everyone's talking about Alex Petrangelo and what's going to happen and what moves need to be made. But these three players can make these decisions a lot more interesting interesting of how the how ready these players truly are and, and I want to touch on Mikola in just a moment but let's go back to Scott Perunovich Joe we talked with his coach in college we've seen college players make the jump from college to NHL and have success Kale McCarr is a perfect example of that so is Quinn Hughes but from a from from somebody who's played college Joe and has played in the minors and played in the NHL what's the difficult part from making that jump and really not having that in between the biggest the biggest challenge for kids to go from college to the National Hockey League is the consistency the day in day out approach to the game uh, when you're in college you're getting classes in the morning you show up to the rink around two in the afternoon you practice then you go to study hall and you have you have dinner at the cafeteria uh, hockey it's not an afterthought uh, but it, but it, it goes hand in hand with school you're balanced it's a balancing act right so you got to spend some time and focus on school and some time and focus on hockey when you hit the national hockey league every day you wake up and every decision you make if you want to stay in the national hockey league has to be a purposeful decision that is geared towards uh, your progression and how quickly you progress at the national hockey league level hmm. and alex you were you you and i both watched jordan Cairo kind of go through this you know last year uh, a player that had speed and great tools. Uh, his puck decision was poor, and his overall general approach to the game on a day-in, day-out basis wasn't where it needed to be. Craig Berube had a great sit-down with him halfway through this season and talked to him about practice habits. When you show up to practice, if, if practice is at 10, you don't hit the ice at 9.55. That means you're 20 minutes late. You're on the ice at 9.30. You're working on skills for 20, 25 minutes before practice even starts. And then when practice is over, you're working on more skills, and you're one of the last guys to get off the ice. And then when you get off the ice, it's not like college. Perunovic probably did some stretching, and again, he was at the cafeteria or he was at the study hall. When, when you get off the ice in hockey, in, in the National Hockey League, you're going to the weight room. You're getting your protein shakes. You're doing the flush. You're hopping on the foam roller, right? You're doing all these things that are going to help you. So it's those day-in, day-out decisions and, and how they impact you as a pro. And, and once you start mentally approaching your life as a professional hockey player that's when you really see the progression of a young player into the national hockey league and that's a hard thing for a lot of players now look at a guy like kale mccarr it was a very easy adjustment he's a very mature kid he understood the opportunity at hand colorado and jared bedner gave him an opportunity right away and he grabbed a hold of it he's holding on tight to those veterans are showing him the way and now he is without question already a pro mindset some players take a lot longer for prunovich a lot of it's going to be on leadership. Do you lean on Ryan O'Reilly? Do you surround yourself with the Robert Thomas? They're going to show you how to do things. They're going to show you how to treat yourself, the body, the mind, how to approach practice, what to do on off days, how to take care of your body. When you have an all-star break, where are you going? What are you doing? Those are all the kind of influencers you need around your kind of inner circle 
to make sure you develop the best as a professional athlete in the National Hockey League. Well, and, and I feel like the Blues are in the best position to have those players make that jump into the NHL because of the leadership that they have. You know, not only do you start with Craig Berube, who has had such success with younger players, but of course a Mike Van Ryan who has spent a lot of his career in the NHL. But then you just think about the players that these younger guys are going to be around. And Alex Petrangelo, who's a captain. A Colton Pareko. A Justin Falk, who was an assistant captain with the Carolina Hurricanes. That doesn't even include a Carl Gunnarsson and a Robert Bortuzzo. I mean, you have all of these NHL vets on the defensive side that have that impact for these younger players to where maybe they don't have to jump in and be the savior like a Kale McCarr or a Quinn Hughes was. They can just kind of insert themselves into a lineup and just play hockey. Well, it's a good point too, Alex. But And also I'm going to go in the Craig Berube side of it. Yeah, You have a coach – you have a coach to add on what you said about the leadership of this coach. You have a coach that is uh, not shy and not afraid to pull you out of the lineup within just having one bad shift or one bad period. And if you have two bad games, guess what? You're going back down to the minors. He holds these players uh, very accountable. And I think young players, they, they, they kind of feed off of that. And they know that if they're not approaching this thing uh, to the very best of their ability, and if they're not treating their bodies and their minds right, and if they're not a good teammate, and if they're not doing things the right way on a consistent basis, this coach is going to send me down to the minors. And if I don't do it there, he's going to send me down to the East Coast League. So I think the uh, the leadership qualities for when you're on this team is one thing, but also the accountability of if you don't do things the right way. We've seen it with Cairo. We've seen it with Costin. We've seen it with um, you know Walker. We've seen it with these players go up and down, up and down. As soon as you take your foot off the gas, even just a little bit, this coach will, will, will put you in the right frame of mind by sending you down. And I don't know about you, Alex, but I think these players really feed off of that. I agree 100%. And we just saw that with uh, with Jordan Cairo. We saw that with Clem Costin, a couple of other players, Nathan Walker, who had success at the NHL level uh, in this regular season. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll wrap up the first hour now. We'll open up the second hour of This Week in Hockey. A couple more things to get into, including the NHL draft being pushed back a couple of days. What does that mean for the offseason, not just for the Blues, but in the NHL? We'll touch on that and something I like to call the Ryan Reeves effect. We'll get into that in the next hour with Joe Vitale here on 101 ESPN. Hour number two of This Week in Hockey right back at you here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN along with Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Golden Knights, Dallas Stars in action this evening. And tomorrow it'll be uh, the New York Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning in game two. Of course, tonight with Dallas and Vegas is game number two as well. And Joe, I want to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights a little bit more. And of course, we had our good friend Mike McKenna on last hour. And if you missed that chat, you can check it out on the podcast 101ESPN.com. But Joe, we've talked a lot about something that you call the Cal Clutterbuck effect and somebody who had an effect in the NHL with the Minnesota Wild, now of course playing with the New York Islanders, but I want to talk about something called the Ryan Reeves effect, and we talked about this last week, but we saw Ryan Reeves explode with this Vegas Golden Knights team these last couple of years, but none more than this postseason. With his chirping and just getting under the skin of the opposition, he was absent from the game because he took it a little bit too far and got suspended for a game. But his suspension led to a one nothing uh, Dallas lead in game one of the Western Conference Final. Without Ryan Reeves in the lineup, it, it feels like Vegas is a different team. Am, am I incorrect with that? No, for sure not. I mean, look, he's a huge personality. He's a spark plug. He's not a fighter. He's not just a hitter. He's not going to grind you down on the fourth line. 
he he's a player that is as much of a factor in the game when he's on the bench as he is when he's on the ice. And that's extremely rare. It's extremely rare to have a player that makes an impact on the bench as much as as much as Ryan Reeves does. Pat Maroon did it last year for the Blues. You know, when he's on the ice, he's a factor. When he's on the bench, he is under the skin of the team. He's under the skin of the coaches. We saw the Winnipeg uh, dialogue and drama. I mean, then we went to the Boston Bruins. And however you can grab an edge on these teams, uh, Ryan Reeves, Pat Maroon, those type of players, Cal Clutterbuck, it seems like every team that's still left in the in these uh, these last four, Jamie Benn for Dallas, they all have at least one. Uh, these personalities are important. And I always go back to this. Tampa Bay knew they didn't have that personality. They did not have that grinded out player that is just fearless as far as talking to the other team's bench, doesn't care what anyone thinks of him. Uh, they missed that last year, and they got swept by Columbus, probably the biggest upset. They go out and they grab Pat Maroon. We miss Pat Maroon this year. We would love to have a Ryan Reeves on the team because we just miss, I think, a lot of that personality, a lot of that energy. Um, so the Ryan Reeves effect, absolutely, Alex. I mean, absolutely. And not to mention, as you know, there are not many players in this league that can fight and play the game of hockey. You know, 10 years ago, you had the Jody Shelleys, right? You had uh, the Eric Goddards. You had all, all these absolute monsters that were there just to fight. But now you're looking at a very small group. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Aside from Cassie and Reeves, there's not many of those players left because these coaches, they can't just have a fighter out there. They got to have a guy that plays hockey. Yeah, well, they do, and that's the part that I think gets me is you you see a different team when Ryan Reeves is on the ice because the opposition wants to play a different style of game. And watching game one of that Western Conference final, Joe, without Ryan Reeves on the ice, you lost a player who has that effect, that intimidation factor, but you also lost a player that gives you identity, and it reminded me a lot of the Blues last year. Without an Oscar Sundquist or without an Ivan Barbashev, your fourth line was irrelevant. And when that was irrelevant, that puts more onus on the top couple of players, which then, again, wears down players, as we saw this year in the postseason for the Blues. It's a trickle-down effect. So with Ryan Reeves on the ice, and we talk so much about Cal Clutterbuck and how he does the little things on the ice – Ryan Reeves does the little things, but Ryan Reeves is one of those players that's the identity factor on the ice for the Vegas Golden Knights, which, again, creates more opportunity for players in front of him. Well, and it's going to create space for players in front of him, like you just said. You know, and for fans out there, you know, what, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean Ryan Reeves creates space for Alex Tuck? Well, you know, to break it down, you know, if I'm, if I'm playing for the Dallas Stars and I go into game one, and I see the fourth line, and Reeves isn't on that lineup sheet because of his suspension, I'm already, as, as a player on the Dallas Stars, excited about the game because I don't need to worry about that animal on the other side. You, you, you know, yeah. what's that slap shot movie uh, where, no, Ugu Torp? Yeah, no, no, he got suspended. Remember Ugu <laughs> Torp? Oh, no, the monster, he, he's not in the game now. He's suspended. All of a sudden, everyone started cheering in the locker room, like, thank God we don't have to deal with that guy. <laughs> so Alex Tuck, when he's out there, with Ryan Reeves, even though they're not on the same line, you know, if you're defending against Alex Tuck and you know Ryan Reeves is on the bench, if you go to hit him and you give him a whack and you give him a cross check and you play hard on him because that's your job, right? If you're Klingberg and you're popping the hips of Tuck and you give him an extra shot, as soon as you skate back to that bench, you know Ryan Reeves is going to have your number. And he's going to say, Klingberg, I'm coming for you. Next time you step on the ice, my coach has put me out there. I'm coming. I'm all over you. So the players know it's coming. So what do they do? They don't even bother with Tuck. 
they already know what's going to come from Reeves. So, like, they're just going to, you know, leave him alone, leave him alone, leave everyone alone, because you know that Ryan Reeves is going to be all over you, and players don't want to have to deal with it. So that that is the the game within the game. That's when you have a player like Ryan Reeves, you are going to create so much space, and you're going to create so much more independence for your goal scorers and for your Max Pacioretty's right for for your schmidt to get up and run on the ice mm-hmm. and without these players taking liberties on your teammates because you know if they do that they're going to be held accountable every time what did you make of ryan reeves with his chirping of travis green i don't know if we got the chance to talk about this last week and i know a lot of people were talking about it. i had the conversation of course with jamie rivers and he said he doesn't really like that from certain players and we've seen other guys do this before but ryan reeves is just a different type of breed and of course you know both sides are to blame because both sides are going back and forth with each other but from an nhler's perspective joe what are your thoughts you know, I always thought it was something that a player shouldn't do. And I always thought a coach should not talk to a player, right? So I've always felt that way. But that kind of what makes me think it's even a greater move. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, like, it's, like the, it's like the rules that it's not in the rule book, but you're just technically not supposed to do. You're not supposed to do that. But, and that's what kind of makes me think that's even cooler that he does. It makes more of an impact because you know – that it's not something you're supposed to do. Uh, Steve Ott, you know, he, he still kind of feels like a player. You know, he'll, he'll get into it with some players. Pat Maroon, he'll chirp the Winnipeg coach. I mean, some players still do it, and it makes an impact, right? Because mm-hmm. if, if you're on the Vancouver Canucks team and Ryan Reeves starts coming after your coach, it, it, it's like slapping your mom in the face in front of all her kids, <laughs> and the husband's got to watch it all happen. You know, these players are like, boy, this is embarrassing for my coach. And then then they're kind of like called upon, like, do I back my coach up? How do I back my coach up? How do I show him that I got his back? It, it, it's a very disrespectful thing to chirp another team's coach. So I think that's what Ryan Reeves was doing. He was just showing disrespect in a, in a very positive hockey way, saying that, you know what, I'm going to call your whole team out right now by chirping you, the head coach. And, and in playoff hockey, Alex, to me, uh, they're, they're just the rules change. You know, I don't think Ryan Reeves would have – uh, as much energy to do it uh, in the regular season. But I'm telling you right now, when you're in the second round, like they were against Vancouver, and that was a tight series, you're looking for any edge you can. And, and I think as you get closer to the cup, all bets off the table. I mean, as, assuming it's not a racial slur or you're not calling out someone's mom, uh, pretty much I think everything's on the table. Well, and I would imagine, and I would bet too, that if you ask anybody on that Vegas benches, uh, that Vegas Golden Knights bench, when Reeves does that, that kind of puts another energy into other players, right? Like, it's the same thing that Pat Maroon did for the Blues against the Boston Bruins last year, where it was, you know, you skate by the bench and you say, you guys are effed. If I'm a player and I see Reeves going after Travis Green and Travis Green is biting into that, that's going to put new energy into me off of that bench. It is. Listen, it's like having Sylvester Stallone on your bench, right? <laughs> if you're going to battle. I mean, listen, he's one of the toughest guys in the league. You know, I had to sit down with Craig Berube at the All-Star game this past year, and and I asked if there's one player in the, in the NHL currently right now you'd be the most afraid to fight. And he said Ryan Reeves. Ryan Reeves is a tough kid. He's a tough fighter. He's a hard hitter. He's a huge personality. He's a feared player, plain and simple. He is very feared. And we, we as St. Louis Blues fans remember it when he was here. He was a feared guy. So when you're on the Vegas team, you feel more comfortable. You love it. You love when he's chirping the coach. You love when he's hitting. You love it when he's fighting. You love him with – with the things he's saying before and after the games, calling out the other team. I mean, that's what gives you energy. That's what gives you 
such bravery and courage if you're Paul Stastny to go into corners or Max Pacioretty to know you're not going to get an extra shot after the whistle because you have you have a Sylvester Stallone <laughs> on the bench and geez wouldn't you like to have him on the bench I mean wouldn't you like to have him in your corner Alex if you ever had to go to a street fight alley downtown St. Louis I would oh my god you feel so much tougher with somebody like that right like you, you feel can, like you you're can, tougher you can say whatever you want you can be the <laughs> toughest guy in the schoolyard you got, yeah your buddy your, buddy, your buddy's Ryan Reeves no problem do you see other players trying to mimic what Ryan Reeves is doing because you know guys always try and imitate what they see from other players coming up in the league do you see other guys trying to be Ryan Reeves you know I I think so I just don't know if anyone's in that in that class anymore you know you see what you see what Martin can do in in New York and listen he's a tough kid he can fight I just don't know if he's got the personality and that kind of swagger Uh, Pat Maroon can certainly do it now Pat Maroon's not going to get up on the ice like Reeves can probably not going to get the ice time that Ryan Reeves is not going to start periods like Ryan Reeves. He's definitely got the personality, but I don't know if he's going to keep up hockey wise. Uh, you know, you have Antoine Roussel who's got the energy, who's got the bite, who's got the chirping mechanisms, but then he can't play quite as well. So I, I just think that Ryan Reeves is such a combination, a, a perfect lock of having enough skill where he can play and he can play at a high tempo and he can play the identity that Pete DeBoer and then the Las Vegas Golden Knights need so you need to have that, but also you, you you're you're tough. You can fight. You can be physical, and you have the personality to just run your mouth nonstop. I mean, uh, he 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 is a sure bet. I mean, he is any team would absolutely adore having him. And I mean, look what the Blues gave up uh, when they got rid of him there, and uh, with the first rounder included. So I mean, it just goes to show you how valued Pittsburgh saw them, and now how valued Vegas did. And, and you need you need a player like that to go deep, I think. Couldn't agree more. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll take a break. We'll come back and wrap things up this week in hockey tonight here on 101 ESPN. Final time tonight here on 101 ESPN. Of course, it's this week in hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale, every Tuesday night with you here throughout the offseason into the next season for the Blues and for the NHL which right now is still kind of up in the air of when things would start. But, Joe, we saw something today come out uh, from Elliot Friedman and from Pierre Lebrun, both reporting that the NHL draft is going to shift back a couple of days. I believe the 5th and 6th of October is when the draft is now expected, and free agency is going to be officially started on October 9th. So let's just start with the draft, because now you figure you're going to see the end of the NHL postseason, probably that first week week of October going right into the draft. So as other general managers and other teams, the prep starts right now for the offseason. I know that sounds cliche, but with such an abbreviated offseason of this going to the postseason and then it just ending, it's going to be a quick turnaround for a lot of these teams. Well, it's going to be a quick turnaround. And, you know, the biggest thing that they needed to establish with kind of free agency before we hopped in the draft was, where the cap was going to be at for a while there we didn't know and now teams know so they can kind of get a better grasp on um signings re-signings in in the market because you know what the cap looks like so that's first and foremost so i'm really happy that the league has finally established that and the gms can move forward because free agency is starting to open up uh we look with granlin and nashville said he's going to test the market if you're a gm and you need a winger you know you start looking right there uh for the draft it's it's you know to me the draft doesn't really change much Um, given this year because you know these scouts have had their eyes on these players for a long time Uh, the 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 lists of players 
in the rankings of players for these pro scouts. Uh, again, I, I don't think it changes all that much because of the pandemic. I think the timing of it changes maybe a little bit, you know, instead of a uh, maybe a longer off season where some of these players, especially these maybe top end first rounders have a little bit more time to get groomed up and ready uh, for the season. You're maybe not going to have that as much, you know, when players are drafted to teams, they usually go to the cities. It's a prospect camp. Usually it's the following week. So if the blues were to draft seven guys this season, well, within a week, they would have the whole prospect group in St. Louis training, getting them some uh, equipment, getting them some Under Armour stuff, getting them used to the philosophy and the culture, seeing St. Louis, getting to mingle with some of the other draft picks and the prospects out there. So you're not going to have that opportunity either. Um, but from a draft standpoint, I, I think it's a good thing the league has done that. I like the way the timing of it, it's all happening. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, will, will, will we uh, – do I feel doubtful that December 1 – a start date uh, can happen. I mean, given the timeline with the draft and free agency, it's still a possibility. I mean, you're still looking at a month and a half before before a possible season. Do I think it's still going to start December 1? No, I think it's going to be pushed back to January. That's more realistic. Um, but the draft and the free agency opening up when they do does not hinder this te- this uh, tentative plan to start things up on December 1. What do you think the prospects' thoughts are going to be in a draft? Because, of course, it's going to get back to some type of normal sooner or later in the NHL where you get back to a normal season of October playing until June when the Stanley Cup is awarded. But I would, I would imagine going into this NHL draft, prospects are going to look at it a little different, right? Because they don't know if there's going to be college hockey. You don't know what the AHL is going to look like. Heck, you don't even know what the roster size for the NHL is going to look like. So some of these prospects could be drafted and say, okay, but what's the plan going to look like for me? You know, it's weird because you're right. You know, where are we playing? Where can I play this year? Right. I mean, uh, it's not like there's a college a college um, strike where, you know, teachers aren't going to school. So then the NCAA says, okay, well, then no sports. So then players could jump right into pro. Um, or, or vice versa, let's say there's uh, something happens in the American League or the East Coast League, and then a player that's on the bubble decides, oh, well, I guess I'll just go to college, right? Um, this is very different. This isn't like, I guess I'll go to Europe. I mean, this is, this is a weird situation where kind of everything could possibly be shut down. So now you're just looking at where these players uh, can play hockey. I think that you're going to see a lot of prospects make that jump to the East Coast League in the American Hockey League if these leagues – are playing for, for these specific reasons because these NHL teams are going to need roster spots. Uh, but that that's just – that's just it's almost like I think of it like outer space and <laughs> like the infinity of time and space and stars and galaxies. Like my brain can take it to there so, so much and then I just give up because I just – I don't have the brain capacity to accept what outer space is. This, this is this, this melting pot of hockey and sports world that we're living in right now. It's amazing. It's not just affecting things at the NHL level. You're going to have these kids drafted, and then there's going to be no American League team probably for a while because that league cannot survive without fans. And it's the same with the East Coast League. That league cannot survive without fans. You know, uh, some leagues in college are maybe going to play, like we're seeing in football. You know, some 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 divisions and some uh, conferences are shut down. Some some are going. And I would imagine hockey's going to be the same way. You may have Hockey East going. You may have a CHA across the country saying shut down. No way. So for your draft picks you may have a group of kids that are kind of sitting around and just kind of working out and just kind of weathering the storm and hopefully he's trying to stay in shape um and that's where it's going to come down to the maturity 
Uh, I think the maturity of the, the players you draft is going to be more important this year than ever before. I wonder, too, and Jamie Rivers asked this question to Jeremy Rutherford earlier today, Rivs, uh, uh, Joey, on Rivs and BK, and he asked the possibility of seeing general managers give the option to certain players of playing overseas, whether it be in the KHL or in the Euro League, something like that, to where that they can play some actual competitive games before the season starts in January. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the problem with that is, like, I know some European leagues have already started, you know, so there's some leagues that are going on right now. Like, my good buddy, Mikhail Bodker, who I played with in Arizona, he finished his time here in, in the States, or assuming this in this league with Ottawa last season, and he decided just to jump on a ship and, and go overseas, and now he's playing, and I think their league just started, is what I just saw. So that's number one. That, that That's a concern because you already have leagues that are going, um, so they probably already have roster spots that are full. Um, a lot of European leagues, they have an import rule where they can only have so many imports. So if you're a Canadian or an American, I think some some teams are like a three or four import uh, maximum. So they can only have three to four. So that kind of limits your numbers there. And then the other side of it, if you're a KHL GM, are you going to want to accept three or four guys knowing it's just going to be temporary because they're just waiting around for the American League to start? I mean, if you if you have an organization that's trying to win and you have an, an organization that's trying to build on something – are you going to take your chances with just a temporary uh, kid from Idaho that's just waiting for uh, the team in Wyoming to open up? You know, so that's it, – it, it, it's hard. And it's hard and it's hard to ask these players to go over to Europe. Yeah, you're going to get some games, but also it's going to be kind of a huge sacrifice where you're going to be leaving if you give up your college eligibility. You know, if you're a junior heading into your senior year and your, your college is shut down but it may open up in the spring, are you going to jump overseas? and play for a month and lose all college eligibility. And then you come back to Wisconsin and university of Wisconsin up in Madison. And then you find out there is a spring league and now you can't play. I mean, it's a, uh, again, it's the outer space. I, <laughs> it, it is such a confusing time. And I do not want to be an agent or like, pretty much given players advice at this point, because you, you, you just don't know what to do. Yeah, this is going to be the strangest year in terms of kind of going from an offseason into a regular season and then the regular season playing out going into a postseason. It's going to be really, really up in the air. So, Joe, one more thing uh, that I'm curious your thoughts on, because we've talked about this also on 101 ESPN a few times. Um, with this draft being pushed back and free agency being officially set for October 9th, that to me puts a, a target date for Doug Armstrong with Alex Petrangelo. That puts a target date for these two teams to focus on trying to get a deal done before that. Because once you hit October 9th, I think it becomes tremendously difficult to get the captain re-signed in St. Louis. Because at that point, other teams can call him and his agent and say, hey, look, I know you want St. Louis, but this is what we have to offer. And we had uh, a former general manager on um, uh, Ribs and BK to talk a little bit about that aspect and said, when you're a free agent and you have other people courting you, it it turns that t the team that you wanted to re-sign with into like an X where you just don't want to talk with them anymore. So from now until October 9th, which is essentially a month, I feel like it is going to be – it's going to be the most important to get Petrangelo re-signed because when free agency hits, it changes. You know, I, I don't know if it's going to be you need to have them signed by October 9, but for me, Alex, the most important thing you need to do is you got to have the room to sign them. You know, like what Doug did last week. You created $4.5 million of room, okay? You got a little bit more work to do. Assuming that you're going to sign Vince Dunn, you know, that's with Petrangelo and Vince Dunn, you're looking at, 
about 10 million bucks. You can estimate somewhere in, in the range there. Vincent being an RFA, he's probably going to make around two to three. And then you got Petrangelo around that eight mark. So I'm just going to say you got $10 million to sign. And right now you only have $6 million of wiggle room. Now, I think before October 9, you got to figure out a way to get $10 million of room. That, to me, is going to show uh, Alex Petrangelo that this team is is in dire uh, need of trying to sign you. And the desperation is there. The urgency is there. We want you. And to show you that we have created this number of room for you should show that. I think if Doug does not have his dominoes all lined up and does not have the room by October 9th, that's where I would get really shaky if you're a Blues fan that if Petrangelo is going to end up re-signing. Now, what does that room look like? Where does it come from? You know, I think that now you got the Jake Allen thing cleared up. We kind of saw this one come, and Jake saw the writing on the wall. Um, with, with an extra probably four you need, do you look right at Alexander Steen? Does that the next one that comes up? Um, it's very fair. Uh, you know, I think that Steeners will be greatly missed. And I think if you're Craig Berube, you want to figure out a way to keep him stay because he's such a lightning rod and he's such a veteran presence and he's like a dad to these kids. You hate to see a player like this go. But if you're Doug Armstrong, are you looking there? Are you looking at a buyout situation? Is it going to be a long-term IR situation? We don't know the extent of the injury he had this, this past playoff. Is it something more serious that we're not hearing about? You know, do you put him on the long-term IR? Does that create the cap room? And then, then his deal's done at the end of the year. Something creative has got to happen between now and October 9th to show Petrangelo's side that here you go. This is the room. We've created it, and now it's on you. And that, that that's just my opinion, Alec. Again, I, I think that uh, would you like to have him signed? Yes. But at this point, I think this is going to be a thing that comes down the 11th hour. I, think, I don't think this is going to be something that happens a week before. I think this is going to be something that comes down comes down to the very end yeah interesting well again once an off season that is going to be uh just as intriguing as ever it feels like for the st louis blues and we are looking forward to it and we'll be talking about it all the way up until the season starts here on 101 espn joey v always appreciate getting to do this week in hockey with you buddy uh enjoy this week and we will talk next tuesday can't wait alex some good games here coming up here tonight Tomorrow, I'm loving Lisa. They're having hockey on every single night, so this has been a lot of fun. We'll talk to you next week, Alex. Boy, especially when you get West and Eastern Conference Finals and that taste of the Stanley Cup Final. And the West is going on now, Dallas and Vegas. Tomorrow, it'll be Tampa and the Islanders. For Joe Vitale and Alex Ferrario, thank you to Mike Ryder for all of his help. Thank you for joining us tonight on This Week in Hockey. We'll talk to you next week here on 101 ESPN.